and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Hope you had a wonderful weekend and welcome to our Monday review episode. Today, we are covering three games that for you, you could actually try on BGA before purchasing or before playing them at a board game cafe. I wish I could tell you that that was an intentional theme of the show, but this happened completely by accident. We'll start off with a conversation about Innovation, which is a civilization-based card game. Then we'll move on to a Mancala-style game called Fruit Picking. And before we conclude the episode, we'll move on to a hearts-adjacent game called Papayu. Just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and take a look at our videos over on YouTube if you want to watch some review content about some East Asian games. And we have been contacted by a couple of you who just wanted to say good job or had suggestions for the show. So thank you so, so much for doing that. I think one of the best parts of the show is getting to interact with you and hear if you've enjoyed a game that we recommended or if you are saying, hey, Eric, you sounded a little bit robotic here then yeah, I I definitely know that. I will try working on it. Everything is appreciated, so you can keep contacting us at Twitter, on Instagram, or by email at boardgamedojopodcast at gmail.com. So with that out of the way, let's get to the first game that we're going to talk about today, which is Carl Chuddock's Innovation. Now, I am definitely a little bit late to the party on this one. I know pretty much every major board game channel has covered this one already. But I wanted to try it because I have heard about the new crowdfunding that is going to happen for Innovation Deluxe, I think they're calling it, where instead of 10 ages, it goes to 11. So I wanted to give it a shot because I've only given it a chance a couple of times before. And Sam from the Board Game Duel podcast, which is a great podcast if you speak French. It's a great podcast anyway. Their voices are lovely, so you can just hear French if you can't understand it. But I will put a link to their show below. He was nice enough to walk me through some of the problems that I was having with the game and learning it. So on the podcast, I think it is much easier to use basic card terms and not the game-specific ones because it's just it's a little bit too hard to describe without the cards and stuff in front of you. So just know that the innovation fans that are out there that are listening to this, I'm not going to use the proper terms for most of the stuff that you're doing in this game. And I hope that it's going to make it easier for those who are unfamiliar with the game. So innovation is a civilization style game in which you're going to be building up your empire over 10 ages. And in the new innovation deluxe, 11. On your turn, you have basically two action points that you can use to do any of the actions in any order. One action you can do is simply draw a card. Another action you can do is to play a card. And you'll play a card from your hand on top of, well, usually on top of, the same color. So if you want to play a red card from your hand, you need to play it on top of the red cards that are already on your tableau. Another thing you can do is to activate an effect on one of the cards that are on the top of one of your piles. Now, this is where that part of you need to play it on top kind of comes into play, because on your cards, you will see both the effects that it can do, the powers that it can give you, but you will also see different icons, like a light bulb or a castle. And depending on how many icons you have of each type, 
is going to be if you can activate that power or not, or who will benefit from that power, really. Because different powers will have a different icon. So this might be a light bulb power, or this might be a castle power. And then you have to compare how many icons of that type you have compared with your opponents. If you have more than them, then you and only you get to benefit from that power. But if somebody else has the same or more than you of that icon, then they also get to benefit from that power. So it's always important to keep track of how many icons you have. So you'll be balancing out what icons you really want to have a lot of on the top, but you'll also be able to do something called splaying. And splaying is when you get to move the card pile in a certain color in a certain direction and it uncovers part of the card. So let's say you're gonna splay right. That means you get to move the pile of cards. Let's say splay blue, right? So you get to put your pile of blue cards that you have on the table, shift it right just a little bit so that all the cards you have in your blue pile, you can see the left column of, which means that now those icons are seeable, which means that they add to your total amount of icons. And you'll be doing different things like this throughout the game. Now, why are you doing this? Well, because you are trying to get to six achievements before your opponents. Achievements can be done by scoring, which is something that some of the card effects and card powers allow you to do. And in order to do this, you have to have a score of five times the amount of that score achievement. So in order to score age one achievement, you have to have five points. In order to score an age two achievement, you have to have 10 points. And you also have to have a card in that age. For example, you can't score age five achievement if your tableau is still in age one. You haven't evolved yet, so don't be doing that. So that's a score achievement. The other achievement is by doing these special kind of universal achievements in which they are the same every game. And these have two ways to achieve them. One is if you draw certain cards, they will have a requirement that if you meet the requirement, you get the achievement. But the other is meeting the more difficult requirement, which might be something like have all of your colors splayed right or up. Or it might be something like have three icons of each type. So you would take those achievements. And again, it's the first of six achievements wins. And that's your basic, basic overview of innovation. I think it still ran a little bit long. Innovation for me, kind of vindicates how I felt about Bosa a couple of weeks ago. If you listen to our podcast a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Bosa, which is a game that requires you to kind of play it 15, 20 times to kind of understand what is going on and almost get to the skill level that you can stop worrying about how the game is not working in your favor and try to mitigate that poor luck or try to mess with your opponents so that their luck is even worse than yours. And I just didn't really get on with it because I likened it to a TV show in which everybody kind of talks that it gets good season two. Season one is terrible, but season two is where it's at. But you have to watch season one in order to understand what's going on. And I just said, you know what? I'm just not that kind of person. I don't really do it. You know, I can't get into the office no matter how many times I try because I just can't get past season one. I just can't do it. I don't want to give up that much of my life in order to get to the good part. And that was how I felt with Bosa. I didn't want to give it 50, 20 times because there was just no promise that it was going to get better. I just didn't enjoy my plays. 
Well, if Bosa was the office, then innovation is the good place, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And part of the reason is because the good place had promise during season one. I'm not going to say season one was fantastic by any means, but it had enough promise there. It had good moments throughout that showed what the show could be. And sure enough, by the end of season one, they really found their rhythm. And I was excited for season two to happen because it could just keep up that momentum. I They found their groove. That's how innovation really felt for me. Innovation felt really hard to understand, not what to do per se, but how to get good at it. It has so much going on in terms of the amazing player powers that are seemingly breaking the game at any moment. The fact that you can have one card completely shift the entirety of the game outlook. It was a lot to handle for me at first, but there was promise there. There were times in which I got to be the one that did some cool combo, or there was a time where I got to have the really fun card that really obliterated my opponent for a little bit. There was that time where I was losing three to zero, and then I had a card that at least got me back up to three to three. I I lost the game still, but it felt like, ooh, there are some cards that do some really cool stuff. I want to keep playing around with this and find it, and sure enough, by the time I got to my fifth six game, I was starting to find the groove. I was starting to find the momentum in the game. I was starting to remember the cards that came out in a previous game and remember, oh, that's how that person used it. I bet you I can use it to get an achievement here. And that's what I want in a game. I like games that are hard to figure out at first. I like games that require you to play over and over again to figure out the strategies. I like those kind of games. And I was nervous, though, after our BOSA review, where I was kind of like, man, so many people like this game. Maybe I just didn't give it the time requirement it needed. Maybe I just didn't give it a chance. But now playing Innovation, I feel, no, BOSA just wasn't for me. Innovation is a game for me. I think people say Innovation is a game that you need to have somebody kind of walk you through. And I don't know if it's a need as much as it's a really nice thing to have. I was able to ask my questions to Sam and a couple of others who helped me out as well. And slowly I was figuring out how everything worked, how all the systems interlocked and things like that. And I think part of that works really well at BGA. Now, something I've been thinking a lot about is the BGA implementation versus the physical implementation. Which one would I recommend you do? And I think BGA gives you the perfect backdrop to learn this game. For one thing, it keeps track of your icons. But at the same time, if you try doing a power and you don't notice that your other opponent has just as many icons as you or more icons than you, it actually gives you a prompt that says like, hey, this opponent is also going to benefit from that. You sure you want to do that? And it's a nice way of kind of remembering these things. The fact that you can scroll over the different achievements and remember, oh, right, this is the achievement that I have to get three icons of each. And what was that card that would also give that to me in an earlier age? Okay, I should look out for that card then. It's just a very nice way of really learning the game and making sure that you're not messing up. And I actually think that that is a great differentiation. I think that as I'm getting more 
familiar with the game, and I'm getting better at it on BGA. I think I am now ready to actually purchase a physical copy on my own. Because now I feel like, okay, I've gotten it down. I think I can play this with people and kind of chat during the game. Because this game has a lot of take that. That's a thing to know about this game. This game is not fair. This game has cards in which you will steal everything from your opponent's score pile or take their top cards that they got or take cards from their hand that they were hoping to get. There's lots of that. And if you can't handle that, if that's not your idea of fun, you will not like innovation whatsoever. But I think part of that might be really fun more in a physical setting. Getting to do that to your opponent physically is going to heighten the fun. Now, another thing is a lot of people will say that Innovation is a two-player game. So I have only actually played this at two-player. I have not tried it at four players, although I hear that some people really like it, but most people are like, hey, this is a two-player game. I really like it at two. I think it's really easy to understand, okay, I'm playing against one opponent, this is how many icons this person has, this is what they have on their table. I'm only worried about one person. I know some of the cards are better at more players because you can have more chances to benefit from other people's icons, and it makes a bit more sense, but I like that one-on-one interaction. I like that one-on-one kind of watching each other, making sure, hey, I know you're close to that achievement, and I'm going to make sure you're not going to get that before I can, kind of feeling to it. Overall, I really like innovation. I have become pretty much addicted to it. I think I have eight tables going on BGA at the moment from with people all over the world. Um, and if you're one of those people, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, and in some of us, we have just like perpetual rematches going on. It's just end game. Okay, rematch. Yep. Okay. End game. Rematch. Okay. And we've just been doing that for probably a week, which is really, really fun. So I really like innovation. I recommend it. And that's innovation that's designed by Carl Chuddick and published by As Money Games. Next up, we've got Fruit Picking, a game from South Korea. And this is a Mancala style game in which you will be planting seeds to try to get market cards. And let me let me step back for a moment and kind of talk about how the game works. So you will have a board in front of you that have all these different fruits on them and what's called the harvest house. And on your turn, there are two steps to your turn. The first step is to move the seeds around, which is kind of just the cubes that are on the board in a Moncala style. So and this is based on how many cubes are in that spot. So let's say you have three cubes in the banana spot. You'll pick them up and move them one cube in the next three spots. Now, where you land, you will then also have a choice. Where you land is called the active tile. And there, you might have one option or you might have two options. One option is to simply water that spot. Based on what fruit you land on that becomes the active tile, you get to add certain amounts of seeds based on how many fruits are pictured on that spot. So like the pineapple, you only get to add one pineapple because there's only one pineapple pictured. But the bananas are two because there are two bananas pictured on that tile. So you would just add two cubes to that spot and then be the next person's turn. The other option that you might have is to obtain a market card. 
This requires you to have seeds at the Harvest House spot, which is something that you've probably been adding seeds on the whole time as you've been playing Moncala. Based on where the card is on the market row will dictate how much the price is. And these market cards are how you win the game. The first person to collect the market card in a set listed, so it might be like one of each fruits or a pair of one fruit and a three of a kind of another fruit, things like that. Whoever is the first to collect that will win the game. And that's basically how you play fruit picking. There is a solo variant for the game in which you need to not run out of seeds in the middle, not run out of seeds on the outside, and you need to buy five market cards. If you buy five market cards without those losing conditions of running out of seeds somewhere, then you win. So let's talk about fruit picking because it, along with our other games that we'll talk about today, has both a BGA implementation and a physical implementation. So talking about the physical implementation first, it's kind of strange because it has recessed player boards so that your cubes don't get knocked around on accident, which is nice. But then I really dislike the cards. They're so thin and bendy that I'm just like, why? Why would you spend all this money on this really nice board and then have these really poor quality cards? And I think it might be because they were trying to keep the cost down. This is a pretty affordable game comparatively to a lot of other games in East Asia. So I think that might have been part of it, but it is just a weird mix of this one is really feels premium and this part feels really cheap. But otherwise, let's talk about the game, no matter whether you're playing it on digital or physical. It is a nice little puzzle that plays from one to four, I believe. Let me check that out. Da, 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 da. Yeah, one to four. That's what I thought. And it is asking you basically to have this nice little puzzle to figure out, okay, if I move my cubes from here and then I put one in each there, then I'll end up here this turn and then the next turn I can end up there. And then I think if I do that, then I'll have four there and that'll give me the active tile. So then I can get to the market card and get that. It's asking you to plan like that. And you can because ultimately nobody else can do anything to your board. It is an efficiency puzzle. How well can you figure out your board? Because everybody's board is going to be the same in this game. So everybody's on level footing in that sense. It is really about how well can you manage the cubes on your board. But something else that'll come into play during this puzzling will be the market cards. Because as somebody gets a market card, a new one replaces it and everything else slides down. And there can be a luck element to that. Because Let's say that you're trying to get the one of each type of fruit, okay? You have everything except for the pineapple. Everybody knows that you have everything but the pineapple and that you're that close to winning. So if it gets to that point and everybody else is trying to prevent you from winning, that means that other people are going to be trying to buy all of the pineapples that they can from the market row. And it's going to be kind of a luck thing because Let's say you're playing at four. If it gets to you, let's say you buy a market card and now you're one away from the pineapple, right? The next player sees, oh, a pineapple was revealed in the market row. I have to buy that. Well, that's just bad luck for you because there's probably no way that that pineapple is going to get to you. But whereas somebody else might be a little bit behind you, they might have been a little bit less efficient than you, but they needed a strawberry and 
on their turn, a strawberry was revealed for the market row. Okay, good luck for them. So that can be a little bit weird because it's a game that really does reward how efficient you are and requires you to be thinking about how well you can play this Moncala game. So the luck element can be a bit weird. But on an overview, I actually think that this game works well for families because I think it does have this puzzle there, but it is easy enough to understand that I think kids can do it as well. And I have seen a lot of social media posts of people playing this game with their kids. It has like, it's very cute. I think the art really is inviting for that as well. It has that family game aesthetic to it where it is very pleasing to the eye. They could have probably picked a lot of different themes with it, but I like the fruit picking thing. I like that it's like, okay, we're growing seeds and it's increasing because it's raining. I don't know. Like there could be a lot worse themes than that. So age range, yeah, I think this could be good for families. And even if you want to play a couple of adults, that's good too. And let's get to the player count though, because this is where I think the player counts on the box and the player count that is best at are very different because this game says it plays one to four and yes it technically does but i really prefer this at either one or two and that's because this efficiency puzzle just works the best it feels like you can more mitigate the luck than at a three or four player game. Like when I was talking about earlier, where if a market card comes out that you want, you know, if you have to wait for three people to take your turn, it's probably not getting back to you. At two, you can really keep track of each other. I kind of talked about it in innovation too, where I'm keeping track of what you've got. I'm keeping track of how efficient you're being. I'm keeping track of what you need to win the game and how close you are to it. And it's also just a bit quicker because except for the market cards, you're just affecting yourself. And so it's kind of this multiplayer solitaire. So I much prefer a game in which I can mess with my board. Then you mess with your board. Then I mess with my board. Then you mess with your board. And it just flies. It's so snappy when you play it that way. It can take as little as 10, 15 minutes. And I like that, especially for this like very light filler game. This also is a good kind of morning solo game where it's just, can you get to five market cards? You know, how quick did you do it? That kind of thing. It is a survival thing. So it's either win or lose. Did you win today? Did you figure out the puzzle today? Yes or no. And that kind of leads me to the last point, which is replayability. Both the solo variant and the two player, three player, four player mode, whatever you want to play, it has a very limited replayability. It has a very limited shelf life because it is basically the same puzzle every time. Yes, the market cards will dictate where you need to go, what cubes you need to move to, but there is a level of skill that you will achieve to this game. And after you achieve that, you're just kind of done. It's no longer fun. It feels solved in a way. The solo mode, I enjoyed playing until I won. And then I won again. And then I want again, and it was like, oh, okay, I think I just figured this game out. I don't really need to play this anymore. So it was fun for the first batch of plays, but then it kind of just fell off a cliff. And I think that's why maybe I just prefer this one on BGA. For one thing, I'm just, I don't want to have to think about the cues that I need to match up with. But also, it just gives me a quick fill of it. It doesn't take longer than it needs to, and... Ultimately, like if you're going to have to import this one from South Korea, then 
it's going to be a very expensive import for something that I think you're going to get a very limited shelf life on. For a game that's probably maybe a 7 out of 10, I don't really know how much I would pay for it. If you can get a cheaper copy of it, I think it's definitely worth it. Otherwise, maybe just try it on BGA. See how you feel first. And that's Fruit Picking by Jun Ichishinde, art by Renee Amthor, and published by Korea Board Games Co. Our final game today is Papayu, a game that is, hmm, a hearts-adjacent game, but kind of savage. And I mean, like, really savage. This game is just right away, let's just talk about it in the physical implementation. I do not like the BGA implementation. It's done very well. Like, props to the person who did it on BGA. I think he did a great job, but this game is not meant to be played digitally. It is meant to be played physically. So we're going to talk about really the physical implementation this time. Papayu is a game that is, like I said, adjacent to hearts. And that means that people are going to be losing points during this game. It is a must-follow trick-taking game in which you have the four standard suits, hearts, spades, clubs, and diamonds. But then you also have a Paiyu suit. And this Paiyu suit is definitely like the, I think it's like a pain suit, but if you win a trick that has a Paiyu suit in it, the normal suits are 1 to 10. The Paiyu suit is 1 to 20. If you take a Paiyu suit when you win a trick, you lose that many points. So if you take a 12 in the Paiyu suit, you lose 12 points. The other thing is that you will roll a die at the beginning of each round, and it'll be one of those four regular suits. And the 7 of that suit will be worth negative 40 if you win that. And that's the kind of part that's kind of like... Hearts, I believe it's the Queen of Spades, that if you take that, then you get a bunch of negative points. So basically, summed up, you play a must-follow trick-taking game. That is nothing super special. There's no trumps or anything like that. And if you take the Paiyu suit, or you take the seven of whatever is rolled that round, you get a ton of negative points. Now let's start with that, because I think so many people have bounced off of Papayu because they've played it digitally, and they've played it only digitally. Whereas... When you get the physical version of it, I think you're a lot happier with it. It looks nice. I don't think the cards look that weird. I like the aesthetic of it, but I get it. Like, art is a subjective thing, and we've talked about that previously on the show, right? But I think that this game really needs to be played like a party game. And that is because it can feel pretty bad when you're losing so many points. And many games of this we've had, there is just a runaway loser, not a runaway winner, but a runaway loser of just somebody who is getting all of the points. And we will turn to them and be like, hey, you know, you're like not supposed to give points, right? But that is the kind of atmosphere that you have to have in order to make this game work. You have to be able to play it with friends who are willing to have a good attitude about it. Now, we can back up a little bit and kind of think about it in terms of, well, it just sounds like you're making the game work. It sounds like you're having fun despite that it can feel bad when you take these points. And yeah, I guess if you're thinking that, that's been the one thing that I've been kind of going back and forth in my brain as of, when I have to say it out loud, I shouldn't really like it as much as I do. I shouldn't really be enjoying it as much as I do. Like, yeah, this game can feel really, really 
brutal if you are the runaway loser, for sure. I can't really decide what the threshold should be of you have to be a certain amount of good at these kinds of games because I think comparative to hearts, this game is just so much more brutal. It feels so much more worse because you're having so many more points that you're losing that if you are not familiar with these games, if you are not familiar with what it takes to short a suit or void a suit, right? You are going to lose and it's not going to be close. And that can feel pretty bad for that player. Like I have, I think I have a BGA game going where somebody's losing by like 200 points, something like that. Like it's not that close. And I get that criticism. But at the same time, I think where I'm at is I'm not playing it in that setting. I'm playing it in a setting that is very much, we are going to gang up on somebody. We are going to try to just have fun even when we're losing. It's just going to turn into a funny moment. And I think that's where it's at is it just takes the right group to elevate this game. I don't think it's going to be for every group. I think a lot of groups are going to bounce off of this one and not only just bounce off of it, they're going to bounce way, way off of this one, maybe even hate this game. And I can understand that. But if you have the right group, if you want a group that maybe doesn't want to think about a really hard trick taker at the end of the night. You just want something breezy, but you want something that you still do have to think a little bit about. Then I think that this game works. I think that this is a great game to play at the end of a night of drinking, for example. And I actually kind of forgot about an important part of this game. Before you even start the hand, you're going to get dealt your cards, but you actually pass five to the person over. And that kind of adds to that, hey, if you don't know what's going on, then you're not going to know what cards to pass. But it's also adds to the funniness of it, too, because you kind of sit there with that kind of menacing laugh and just kind of like, I am completely going to mess you up. I'm completely going to screw you over with these cards. But everybody's doing that. You're all trying to just make the other person lose. And it's just kind of a different experience than I think what a lot of trick takers that have come out lately are giving. And I think for that it's definitely worth a try. But again, uh, I really don't like the digital implementation. I think it gives away the socialness that actually makes this game fun. But if you at least want to try it so that you can at least learn the game, then it is a decently good implementation. And that's Papayu, which has uncredited designer but is published by Gigamix. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. In case you didn't notice, this was way off script. I don't have a script for this episode at all. I'm just kind of talking. And so I hope you liked it still. If you did, then message us on Twitter or Instagram or email us at boardgamedojopodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the episode. See, okay, which one do you like better? Do you like the more scripted, much shorter episode? Or do you like the more rambly, more conversational style of episode? Maybe it's a little bit of in between. We'll be back Wednesday with a more scholarly episode. So please look forward to that. Thank you so much for listening today. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time. じゃあね。